0: Morning. Well, today we're starting a series on Advent. Now, that's a that's a Christian term, but boy has our society kind of latched onto that one to try and get a little bit of extra money out of us for Christmas, right? Advent is also largely known by these cute calendars that, that no longer really point to Christ, but just are fun, you know, and we've used them. We had a Lego one last year, but look at these 2022 advent calendars you could buy. There's, there's chocolate ones, which is normal. There's a cheese one, which I had last year, and that was game changer for me. There's a whiskey advent calendar. 24 days of, oh my, you know, there's all different kinds of ones, beauty products. You can get one for your cat, cat toys. Thank God your cats can have an advent calendar. And Dolly Parton. For some reason there's a Dolly Parton Advent calendar and uh, they've figured out how to get a bit more money out of us and um, it's fun seeing the kids, you know, pick out different Lego things and, and stuff like that. But Advent today, we could easily say, looks very different than Advent throughout church history, right? It looks, it looks different. Advent, the word, comes from the Latin word meaning coming or arrival. And so when we talk about Advent, we're talking about it being a celebration of the first advent of Jesus in humility in the manger and also awaiting the second advent of Jesus in his second coming when he comes back in glory. Those are the things we are to be thinking about. Now we're good about preparing for Christmas, right? I know as Christians that you would never decorate your house before Thanksgiving, right? With Christmas decorations, right? Because you love Jesus. All right, I know. It's a changing thing. In my house, we hold the line. We hold the line only after Thanksgiving. But my, you must have been speaking to my daughter because she was sneaking out decorations earlier and earlier. And it's, uh, we put up the decorations. We get the playlist going. Our tradition is on, on uh, the Friday after Thanksgiving. We go and cut down a, a tree. And it's been... And I also, my tree falls down and dies before Christmas is another tradition. But, you know, we have our ways of preparing for this celebration. Advent encourages us to prepare spiritually for Christmas, to think through what it really means, to even reflect what it would be like to be an Israelite over those thousands of years longing for a Messiah to come and save them right? They needed salvation, they wanted it, and the Messiah finally came on that Christmas morning. But it's also about looking around at this broken world and recognizing we can't fix this. Jesus, come quickly. We need you to come back and fix everything. During the season of Advent, we try and deny the false Christmas stories that are being thrust upon us, right? Individualism, consumerism, and, and we, we instead focus on gospel themes, four major themes that are sometimes thought through during this time, it's hope, peace, joy, and love. Today, we're gonna to be talking about hope and peace and what the scriptures say about that and how that relates to the first coming of Jesus in that manger and also his second coming that we are waiting for. And so let's take this first theme of hope. Right? I think people have a different understanding of what the word hope means. Many times you think it just means wishful thinking, but you have no control over the outcomes. So you just kind of hope that it's going to go that way. I think of the, the bride and groom that are praying for no rain for their outdoor wedding. Well, listen, we're all praying for that. We've all experienced a bridezilla. We don't want that. We're praying that there's no rain. But what would happen if God answered every no rain prayer for every bride? We would never have rain ever again. We would be in constant drought. Maybe that's what's going on in California. God answering the prayers of the brides in California. We have no no rain. Listen, you don't have any control over the weather, no matter what season you pick it. So you have hope. You just kind of hope for the best. But The biblical sense of hope has a different, more full meaning. It's a secure assurance. We have trust in a trustworthy God who has never let us down, he's never failed us. And so if he claims he's going to do something in the future, we can have hope that he is going to do that because he has been trustworthy in our lives. And so we embrace hope for today, no matter what our situation is, and tomorrow. We can have hope for today, despite darkness and difficulty, the chaos and pain that we go through because of God's guidance in our life, his goodness in our life, and his greatness in our life. And the scriptures bear witness to this. Psalm 32, eight says, I will instruct you in the way you should go. I will counsel you with my loving eye on you. God is promising. To instruct us, he says, I will do this. It's not a conditional promise. He's just saying, I'm going to guide you. So when you feel like you're in a season of darkness and despair and you're just confused and, and you can't see the way forward, we realize the word of God is a lamp unto our feet, a light unto our path, that God is promising to be the light of the world to us and to lead us forward in these difficult situations. God's going to guide us. He's gonna help us with our next steps that we're struggling with. But God's goodness is also available to us. The psalmist also says in Psalm 27, I will remain confident of this. I will see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. We know that there is goodness in heaven, only goodness. That there won't be any more pain no more tears any of that we get that but we can have hope no matter what we're going through that there can be goodness today in the land of the living that's a promise it doesn't feel possible that's because it's a god gift not something that we can do for ourselves and we can be blinded to goodness sometimes for different reasons oftentimes it's pain that blinds us to goodness sometimes it's just uh forgetfulness or even grumpiness right here's how grumpiness could blind me to goodness in, in my life, in my, in my house, right? I, I'm grumpy about early wake-ups because my kids are getting out of bed early. Well, you know what, I got, I got children to love. I'm grumpy about a house to clean, it always gets dirty. Well, I've got a safe place to live. Laundry, hey, there's clothes to wear. My wife's laughing right now because of our laundry relationship, but forgive me, Shannon. Just don't come to church and I can speak freely, you know? Listen, <laughs> dishes to wash, food to eat, be quiet. Um, Listen, this, this is grocery shopping. Okay, this all relates to Shannon's difficulties in life. Apparently nothing for me. But listen, I'll clean the toilets though. I'll do that. Listen, we have things that we think bother us. If I could just not answer these homework questions for a moment, if, if I could. But then we realize it's a perspective change that we need, right? That, that God is already good to us and he will be good to us in the future as well. And we can trust in that. And God's greatness is available in our impossible situations. In the Gospels, there was someone who said to Jesus, if you can, if you can heal me, please do this. And Jesus' response was, if you can, Jesus said, everything is possible for one who believes. We find ourselves throughout life in impossible situations where we think our finite minds can write the end to the story and there's no good that can come from it. Well, God's greatness is still available to us today, and we can have hope for today because of that. Tomorrow's hope is based on his second coming, that just like he came once in the the manger, he's going to come again, and he's promised to do that. The idea is there were dozens and dozens of prophecies about the first coming of Jesus. They all came true. And so we can trust the prophecies about the second coming of Jesus, where the scriptures say in Hebrew nine, he will appear a second time, not to bear sin, but to bring salvation to those who are waiting for him. In Matthew 24, we learn that nobody knows the day or the hour, we're just to remain ready and hopeful and looking forward to this time when Jesus comes to fix everything. In First Thessalonians 4, it says, for the Lord himself will come down from heaven with a loud command, with the voice of the archangel and with the trumpet call of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. After that, we who are still alive and are left will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so we will be with the Lord forever. Even if we can't put our finger on the goodness of God in this life and we just can't see it, whether we're blinded to it by pain or whether it just doesn't feel fair and right, what's happening to us, we do have hope for tomorrow, for the future, we know that one day we will be with the Lord forever and he'll wipe away every tear and there'll be no more pain and no more suffering, just a good relationship with God and those that love him. And so we have hope for tomorrow. Now we've got good reasons for our hope. We're not just making this stuff up to make ourselves feel better in a difficult world. The main reason we have is the prophecy that is in scripture. There are Old Testament prophets that longed for the Messiah to come and save them from their enemies and their biggest enemy, their own sin. And Jesus did this. Speaking about God's own ability to see the end from the beginning, to be outside of time and to know what is going to happen in the end so we can trust him. Isaiah 46.10, the Lord says, I make known the end from the beginning. From ancient times, what is still to come, I say, And my purpose will stand i will do all that i please it's difficult to understand a god outside of time who created time for us that's that's going to be tricky you're going to tweak your mind out trying to figure all that out but that's the greatness of the god that we serve that he can see the end from the beginning and he's moving earth towards this one destination of his second coming where he's going to make everything right and so prophecy it's one of those proofs that can help us to grow in our hope. There's a, a college ministry called uh, Ratio Christi that puts out really good resources for college students. P- college students struggle in th- with their faith in college. And so these, this ministry puts out really good academic resources for them to kind of combat a lot of that negative thought they're getting from their professors. And there's a, a small PDF that you can download if you go to go to cornerstone.com prophecy. And it is a fantastic resource answering the question, does fulfilled prophecy confirm the Bible? It says this in the book, the Bible is the only religious writing that proves supernatural origin by clear examples of fulfilled prophecy. No other religious book or supposedly paranormal work can give an example of fulfilled prophecy that is as specific or as as far in advance of its fulfillment as those of the biblical prophets. It is night and day when you study what the Bible does compared to all other religions. It is shocking. It it sets this book apart from all others and can give us hope as we're trying to figure out what's the right way. And then something unique happens in this book. And this this resource will answer questions like, well, how do I know it just wasn't written down afterwards and they said that that it all happened beforehand? They give great resources on on that. And there's certain things that you just can't contest like when the Dead Sea Scrolls were discovered in the 1940s. And those that don't even believe in God, secular historians dated the scrolls at least 200 years before Christ. Well, they didn't know what a gift they gave Christians because we have a full copy of the Isaiah scroll in the Dead Sea Scrolls dated 200 years before Christ. And guess what? There's a lot of prophecy about Jesus in Isaiah 53 pointing towards the cross that we have preserved there. Hundreds of prophecies in the scripture designed to give us hope, so we don't just flail about from one religion to another, but we can realize God is doing something special when he sent his son Jesus for us to follow. And in regards to the first coming of Jesus, there are specific details about the coming of the Messiah, that he would be born a virgin, it's in Isaiah, born in Bethlehem, Micah 5.2, that he'd spend time in Egypt, or come from the line of David, or start his ministry in Galilee, that he'd be called the Son of Man, And even that he would be pierced, Psalm 22, Zechariah 12, 10. Even that he would suffer, Isaiah 53. There are so many specifics that point to what happened in that manger and in the life of Jesus. Designed to give us hope that we can trust God. So prophecy is one of the main good reasons that we have for hope. But also sacrifice. The fact that God has already done the most difficult thing. Everything else is beneath that. The Father has already sent the Son to die on the cross for us. The most difficult decision has already been made so we can bring the rest of what we struggle with to God, knowing He's already done the greatest work for me in all humanity. Surely He can do this too. It says in Romans 8:31, He who did not spare His own Son, but gave Him up for us all, how will He not also, along with Him, graciously give us all things? The battle's already been won, right? The victory's already been had. We're living out of that victory that happened on the cross. And so placing our hope in Jesus, it just brings us a blessing. It does a work in our own hearts. Romans 15, 13 says, "'May the God of hope fill you with," listen, "'joy and peace as you trust in Him, "'so that you may overflow with hope "'by the power of the Holy Spirit.'" Right, as we put our hope and our trust in God, he gives us things that we just can't attain in this life. True peace, true joy, knowing that we're in a right relationship with our God. But it's not just us that receives the blessing. We overflow with hope for other people, right? We become those that can, that can take people that are in a dark place and say, no, God is great. God can still help you. The end of the story has, has not been written, don't give up because God hasn't given up. And who do we wanna be? right? When someone brings their pain and difficulty to us, we don't want to sugarcoat it. We don't want to tell them, knock it off. It's not as bad as you think. That's just not helpful at all. We can, we can relate to them in their pain and say, this is real and you have never suffered like this ever in life. But God still loves you and wants to get you through this. God can still return peace and joy to your life. Who do we want to be? Those that bring those that are in despair and darkness to hope. Or just to kind of commiserate in their doom with them, I found these uh, terrible memes online. They all say we're doomed. Uh, our creative department said they were all going to quit after we put these on the screen. They said we're cooler than this. I said I'm not cooler than this, though. Right? Uh, these are all different movie scenes that say we're doomed. There's one in Star Wars, and Kanto and Charlie Brown's Christmas thing. It's like we can we can look at the evidence and say we're doomed. And we can put ourselves in a tough position, or we can bring hope to the situation and say, God is still good, even though this situation is bad. Not downplaying the pain, you know, the pain that they're going through, but upplaying how great God is in their lives. And so hope, an Advent theme for us to focus on is having hope in God. And we can have that because Jesus has already come for us. He's already come to save us. But there's another theme, and that's peace. We can have peace. Jesus is the Prince of Peace, the Isaiah 9-6 prophecy that we, we sang about today. But isn't it true that peace can mean different things to different people? Like, oh, yeah, I've got peace. Some people think they have peace because they just don't care about other people and they don't care about their problems so they don't involve themselves. And, but apathy isn't peace. That's not the same thing. Others distance themselves from the drama and the problem, but unresolved conflict isn't peace. Some try and distract themselves away from the chaos and the pain through drunkenness and drugs and whatever distracts them. But numbing yourself isn't peace. What the Bible says about peace is very different because it comes from the source, the Prince of Peace himself. And so we know that we can start off with peace with God, and we need peace with God. Without that, we've got the chaos of this world and pending judgment and, and no help from the Father, right? But we can make peace with God. And that happened because Jesus came to this world to die for our sins. It all started humbly in a manger. You could say it started well before that because of the prophecies that were given. Before the foundation of the world was laid, the lamb was slain, the Bible says. This wasn't a backup plan. This was the plan from the beginning. And so Jesus is here to save us. Romans 5.1, since we have been justified through faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Think about that. You have peace with your creator, with the one who made you and the one who could judge you. You have peace with him if you've given your life to Jesus. Think about the confidence that could kind of give us. It's not an excuse to like be a punk to somebody else. God's okay with me, so I don't care if you're upset about how I'm treating you. No, you're probably treating him wrong and you need to find some kind of a compromise or a middle ground there. But I mean, man, if God is for us, who can be against us, right? The, 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 The confidence that we can have knowing the God who sees into the depths of my soul, who knows every thought, even the ones I'm ashamed of, that God still loves me and has a plan for my life. Man, what what can go wrong, right? If God is for you, who can be against you? We can have peace with God, thanks to Jesus, and we can have something that we desperately need, and that's peace internally, uh, on the inside. We know our mind and our hearts can be full of such anxiety and turmoil, and it can just be, it can be painful just to live in here just to process what's going on in life can feel so overwhelming that we feel like we can't do it, but we are given peace on the inside. One of the last things that Jesus said to his disciples in John chapter 14 was this, peace I leave with you, my peace I give you. I do not give to you as the world gives. Do not let your hearts be troubled and do not be afraid. On some level, as we put our trust in Jesus Christ for our salvation, we are given peace. We're given the Holy Spirit. We have this default peace of God, knowing I'm forgiven by God. God's sovereign. God's in control. He's gonna get me through this. We've got this inside peace. You're like, yeah, well, then how come I still stress out so much? Well, it's given to us, but we also have to pursue it, right? We need to pursue peace. Isaiah 26.3 says, you will keep in perfect peace those whose minds are stayed on you, are focused on you, are steadfast because they trust in you. God is promising another measure of peace beyond what was given to us if we would pursue it by focusing our thoughts on God. We don't have to, to game plan the worst case scenario and just live in worst place scenario world. We can focus our thoughts on God and say, no matter what I think I can fix or not fix, God is still good, God still loves me, and God is gonna get me through this, and then I get heaven and we can bring our minds to God and recognize He's with us and He's able to do the work that we want Him to do so we can have peace internally. And finally, we can have peace with others. I added the word can there because uh, it's not always possible, but we can have peace with others, right? It's it's possible. Originally, I wrote the word when it's reasonable, but then I realized it never feels reasonable to forgive anybody else. Right, we always think, no, that was a line. They crossed that line. I told them that was a line that ends our relationship forever. There's no more relationship. They can't come over. They can't hang out. They can't talk to me until they apologize in this particular way. It's never going to feel reasonable for us to pass that line and, and pursue peace. But it's possible. And it's something that we should consider. Romans 12, 18 says, if it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone as much as it depends on us. And so it it may be that we have to decide what depends on us is, I'm gonna pursue this relationship even though they still hurt me and they didn't apologize the right way, or their apology was so weak it shouldn't even count, but I'm still gonna pursue a relationship. Now, you might not have the capacity to do that, and so it may be that you need some healthy boundaries for your own sake and for your family's sake, but as we draw closer to Jesus every single day, he increases our capacity to forgive unreasonable, mean people. And, and he allows what they, they do to try and harm us, to kind of roll off us instead of pushing the button to cause us to explode anymore. And that may be possible. If you're pursuing Jesus passionately, it may be possible to pursue peace, even though it feels one-sided. And that person maybe doesn't have the Spirit of God in them. Maybe they don't have that extra strength that you have to pursue it. And so you're the one that's gonna be the bigger man or woman that's gonna say, no, I'm gonna reestablish this and not, not bring it up again. That's, if it's possible. It may not be possible in all situations, but it's so difficult to do that we are rewarded when we go down that path. Jesus said on the Sermon on the Mount, blessed are the peacemakers for they shall be called children of God. Part of us, saying, I'm at least open to pursuing peace with this unreasonable person that has hurt me, that isn't even gonna forgive me, part of that just shows the Spirit of God is dwelling in us, right? That God himself who forgave us when we offended him with our sin, he overcame that, we didn't do that, right? He did all of that to forgive us. When we start being so grateful for that forgiveness we've received, we can then pour it out to others. And Jesus is basically saying, you're starting to feel like a child of God, aren't you? You're starting to act more like God now, aren't you? And it can be a confirmation of the work of God and the growth that we're experiencing as we extend peace to others. The reward is we realize, God really is doing a work in my life. God really is transforming me. And so we need to consider what we want this season to be like. What do we want it to feel like in our home as we think through what, what society says Christmas is all about, these, these gospel themes of hope and peace and joy and love, what do you want your home to reflect? Now, the first temptation is to say, well, I'll do that next year because we're already kind of halfway through the, the season, so I'll just do that later. But wouldn't it make sense to take a few steps in that direction this year so you can take greater steps in that direction next year? It's never too late to walk towards the Lord. So make a plan because this is so important that we shouldn't let busyness swallow it up. And so at our house, I've kind of sensed some of that consumerism. And I was like, man, last year was kind of a, it was good, we love Jesus and like, it was, that was great. But like this Lego advent calendar, it was, made the kids smile, but it made it feel like there was 25 days of Christmas. Every morning they ran downstairs before they'd say hi to anyone, they opened it up and had this moment. And I was like, this is like 25 days of joy over a Lego. And I just feel like I want the build-up to Christmas to be more, more spiritual than that. We're not going to be weird. We take our Santa photos. We decorate our Christmas tree. We've got, you know, a mixture of Christian and regular American Christmas holiday kind of decorations around there. Apparently some Swedish stuff too, right? I don't know, I can't read. I don't understand what it means, but it's Swedish. So, but I felt like there was too much consumerism there. And so this year, even though the kids hate me, we, we just got a simple chocolate Advent calendar. So they got a bit of sweetness every day. But then what we're really doing is at dinner time we've got an Advent-style wreath with some candles, and the kids take turn lighting a particular candle each night. Shannon found a great uh, Advent devotional that focuses on hope, peace, joy, and love. And all week at dinner time, we just read a page or two of that. The kids take turn reading a Bible verse, take turns praying, and it comes with an ornament that has a, a, a Bible verse based on the theme of hope and they take turns putting that on the tree. So they're kind of covering up the, the Lego and Pokemon ornaments that they've bought and, and love and they're, they're putting these other biblical things in there and we've been enjoying it. There's times where it's absolute chaos and rebellion at the dinner table where the kids are acting like punks, you know, and you're like, we're trying to point you to Jesus. You know? And they're horrible. And there's times you're like, why, why do we even try? That's normal. That's a normal experience. We also are reading this book called Jotham's Journey. The author was brilliant to write four books over the years all the characters intertwine in each of the four books, and it takes place around the time of the birth of Jesus. And so these fictional characters are bumping into all the biblical characters. There's this fictional bad guy chasing them through all four books. And every year you just read one book. At the end of every chapter, there's a verse, there's a reminder of the trust we can put into Jesus. I had an 18 year old Bible college student say that was his favorite Christmas tradition years ago. So we tried doing that, and starting three or four years ago, we started doing it, and it is our favorite family tradition that we. do. It's just fantastic. And so there's lots of things that we can do to point ourselves to Jesus more. But what do you want your home to feel like? Hope, peace, joy, and love, and work towards just a small change in that direction this year. And maybe you can plan something even, even better next year. Don't be the weird Christian that, you know, goes, brings all your ornaments outside into a pile on the street and lights them on fire and stares at all the other pagan neighbors. Like, no, we, we tell our kids, hey, there's some fun American traditions that we do. And then there are some Christian traditions that we do. And we're always gonna emphasize how sweet Jesus is. And that's the reason why we give gifts, you know? But hey, they can, we can watch some cool movies on Santa Claus with Tim Allen too, they're a lot of fun. And so let's ask the Lord for wisdom on this. Father, we need your wisdom. We want to lead ourselves and our families closer to you. And the truth is, is that all those brands just want our money. And so they don't have our best interests in mind, Lord, but you do so much so that you sent your son to die for us. And so this is more than just a holiday. It's more than just a time to celebrate. It's a time to reflect. And God knows that we need hope. Lord, we need your hope and your peace. All of us came here today with different difficulties in our lives, pain that is deep and confusing, hurt that is unbearable, relationships that are broken. But because of the good news of Jesus Christ, we know that there is hope and that we can have peace once again. And that brings great joy into our lives as you love us so much, Lord. And so we ask that you'd speak to us about what you'd like us to do practically in our lives and help us to focus on you where we'll find our greatest joy. In Jesus' name, amen. We have a prayer team available that would love to pray with you. God bless you guys. We'll see you next week.